Hello, woman beings. This is the Woman Being Podcast, and I am here with the lovely Emma and Kellyanne. Hello. Hello. Happy to be here. And today we are joined by a very special guest. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Evian Whitney pronouns they, them. Evian is a sexuality doula, sensualist, and somatics babe, and they are also the host of the Sensual Self podcast and author of the Sensual Self book. So we're going to dive into all of that and more in just a second. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Evian, thank you so much for being here today. It is such an honor that you are here talking to us, recording a podcast with us. Uh, we are longtime fans, especially Kellyanne is a longtime fan. It's true. And so, <laughs> wow, you're here. Oh, thanks, y'all. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. To get us started, just tell us a little bit about your work and what you do and what brought you to specialize in sensuality, sexuality, and somatics. Ooh, the three S's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little alliteration, which was not intentional, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've been um, a sex educator, a sexuality doula, uh, since 2011. So I've, I've been at this for, for a little bit and I really got into this work from a place of wanting to really understand my own upbringing, my own, uh, wounds and traumas around sex and sexuality. I grew up in purity culture and, uh, I signed a purity contract when I was eight. And so that Ooh. gave me, yeah, <laughs> eight? you were Fun only time. eight. That's I was pretty only young. Eight. Wow. It was really young. It was really young. Um, I actually signed two. I signed two contracts. One when oh. I was eight, and I think another one maybe when I was nine or ten. I have no idea why they had us sign two. Oh my gosh. Wow. Just to make extra sure. Yeah. Double down. I think, <laughs> I think they wanted to like really implant it in our brains that it was important that we are virgins. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a little bit about my background in terms of the way that I grew up thinking about my body, about sexuality, about um, sensuality, like just like the pleasure of being in a body. And um, it wasn't until I started getting into the relationship that I was in now that a lot of stuff began to come forward about the ways that I was harmed, the ways that I have been uh, violated and traumatized both by like religious, um, upbringings and, and religious harms, but also from previous sexual relationships. So I got into this work, just really wanting to understand all of that because I wasn't finding a lot of information at the time about topics of sex and sexuality. I mean, they were definitely out there, but they weren't, um, they weren't, like front and center as we see and understand sex and sexuality now. Like the kids these days, they don't know how lucky they are that they have like oh, comprehensive yeah. sex education on like TikTok and Instagram. But uh -huh. like back in the day, like even just like 10 years ago, you had to find like these very specific underground dark corners of the internet to have conversations mm -hmm. about sexual trauma, sexual shame and sexual liberation. So I mm. started my own healing journey by carving a path of like 
understanding and um, expression and curiosity and healing and liberation within my own sexuality. And from there, I think I just started to realize that there are so many people who had the same experiences as I did that were feeling a lot of the same fears and frustrations and disconnections around their body and their sexuality, which at the time I thought that I was the only one on planet earth that was dealing with this stuff. So it was really interesting Mm. to get so much feedback from people saying like, you're not alone. I have had the same upbringing too, or I've had the same sort of harms and, and, um, experiences as, as you have had. And I really sort of leaned into that. I leaned into being a a safe space for other people, predominantly women and femme-identified folks who had a similar experience and wanted to find answers, that wanted to find community and wanted to heal on their own terms in their own way. And um, yeah, I I leaned into being that that person to hold that space. And my work has really grown and stretched and um, gotten a lot more granular uh, as of the recent years as I'm coming into somatics, talking more about pleasure activism, um, talking more about the nuances of sexuality outside of what we understand sexuality to be like, you know, asexuality and what it means to be demisexual and what it means to be queer and gender identity. So as as I have grown, my work has also grown. And uh, I just feel really lucky and, and honored really to hold this space for people. That's amazing. Honestly, we need people like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the earth just and, and the people on earth need people like you who are digging into that. And I think It's just so beautiful what you're doing and also so beneficial for people who have come out of purity culture. But I mean, even even outside of the religious context, our our Western culture is so sex negative Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to have deep, good quality conversations about sex um, anyways. So it's incredibly important work. Um, Before my next question, I wondered if you could... For anyone who's not as familiar, define some of these terms that we're talking about here. Like, what does it mean to be a sexuality doula? What is somatics? Um, and what mm. is sensuality? I would love to. Uh, so sexuality doula is a term that I coined that describes the work that I do, the space that I hold for folks within this landscape of um, decolonizing sexuality, healing and liberating our relationships with sex and pleasure and like what it means to be in our bodies. Um, I know that a lot of people know what a doula is from a birthing sense. Like folks are really familiar with birthing doulas and um, death doulas is another iteration of a doula. Uh, But my work as a sexuality looks like me being a guide, a companion, an educational and resource uh, for folks who are on this path of wanting to heal, understand, liberate, and express their sexual and sensual selves on their own terms outside of these narratives of shame, fear, um, oppression, whatever that is for them. And the way that I do that is by really holding space for people. Um, one of the one of the first questions that comes up when people 
hear that I'm a sexuality doula, they're like, are you in the room with people when they're having sex? Is that like part of (laughs) part of what you do? (laughs) Yeah. Like, like coaching people and like, you know, maybe tweaking (laughs) positions and stuff. And I always say like, at this time, no, I am not doing that. I would be jazzed to do that in, you know, a couple of years if that, you know, need arises. But, um, honestly, my work really looks like a lot of curiosity. It looks like me asking a lot of questions. Um, It looks like me providing space for folks to feel into their bodies and, and by feeling into their bodies, like feeling into the emotions that are arising in their bodies as we're talking about sex and sexuality, feeling into what memories and feelings are surfacing as we are speaking about some of the narratives that they've internalized about sex and sexuality that they no longer want to believe in. They no longer want to embody. Um, and so I, I see the work that I do as not just being just an educator that's giving people tools to have safer and better and more pleasurable sex, but also as someone who is just very curious about like the whole journey of sexual liberation as a whole. Like, What does it mean for us to feel sexually free? And what are the things that we need in order to get there. And a lot of times it's not like a sex toy. It's like mm-hmm. dismantling the the systems of oppression that we've internalized about our bodies, about our sexuality, about our gender identity, about what's possible within our relationship frameworks. So yeah, I mean, that was a long-winded answer in terms of what sexuality doula is, but I just like it's so nuanced. There's a lot of layers to yeah. it. And I think that's why I gravitate more towards the doula aspect of it rather than like, I'm an educator <laughs> or I'm a mm. writer or mm. I'm a coach. I like, there's, there's just so many aspects of this work that I fold in, um, that I feel are really helpful for people to have that lasting transformation within their sex lives and within their bodies. And then these other pieces, as a sensualist, I work a lot with um, the senses. I work a lot with the body. And I can actually talk about sens- being a sensualist and a um, somatics babe, as you all said, or yes. a somatics practitioner, uh, sort of in the same light, which I see those two things as being about the body. Like I do a lot of body-based practices. I incorporate a lot of body-based methodologies and frameworks for people because a lot of the stories that we've internalized, a lot of the ways that we are embodying our sexual shame happens in our bodies. You know, a lot of the the harm and the trauma that we've experienced has happened through our bodies. And so it would make sense that the technologies that we would need in order to access healing and liberation would happen through the body. So as a sensualist, I'm really interested in what connection do people have not only with like their bodies, their, their, their senses, but with pleasure, you know, like I really see sensuality not as a, uh, synonym for sexuality, but Mm -hmm. as its own experience and its own relationship of being in your body in a pleasurable Mm way. Mm. So I blend that in with somatics, which is also just this other aspect of being in this body-based framework, you know, really looking at the body as a living thing that holds history, that holds stories, that holds so much wisdom. And the practices that I incorporate 
around sexual healing, around sexual liberation and sexual curiosity come through that space of, yes, we can talk about it. We can try to intellectualize what sexual healing and liberation is. But I also want to hold space for like what the body can hold and like what the body can tell us and teach us about who we want to be and who we want to step into. Um, So yeah, that was a little long-winded, but you asked. So (laughs) yeah, that's that's where I'm at. (laughs) No, thank you so much. I think that's just helpful in laying the groundwork a little bit more for anyone who's less familiar. Um, I'm sure they won't be after this podcast because they're (laughs) going to go and listen to all of your episodes. Um, Would you then tell us a little bit about your journey then of coming home to yourself and embodying pleasure and sensuality for you? The first thing I'll say is that I'm still on that journey. I am still in process of healing and liberating myself. And it's probably one of the most frustrating and beautiful parts of being a human being is that we're never going to arrive at a healed space, that we're always in in motion. And I really feel that with my own journey. Um, I mean, we're having this conversation a few days after the new year and I'm thinking about like, oh my gosh, I've come so far and there's so many aspects of my, my life and my healing that I've achieved. And there's also so much more for me to do. There's so much more for me to go. And I just like to like lay that as a framework first, because I don't want anybody to think that like, I'm an expert, that I have like hit this sexual peak of knowledge and wisdom and everybody has to be like me with these like 10 steps that I'm going to share or whatever. Mm. Like I'm, I'm a human being. I'm living in a world that has deeply affected and continues to affect my ability to be in pleasure, to be in relationship with my body, to be in right relationship with my sexuality. And as a result of that, I'm constantly healing. I'm constantly on that journey, as as I would imagine everybody listening is as well. Um, but I will say I am a lot farther along <laughs> than I was when I first yeah. started. And when I <laughs> when I first started, I I mean, as I as I sort of mentioned, you know, I, I grew up in a conservative Christian home, so a lot of conversations about sex did not happen really for me. No. Um, I was taught abstinence only. Um, basically the message was like, do not have sex until you're married. And there wasn't a lot of conversation about other aspects of sexuality or pleasure or desire or arousal consent. It was really just kind of drilled into us that, um, being a a virgin was the most important part of us. And that if we were to, if we were to, um, achieve that, then, you know, we get to heaven. And mm. everybody wants that. So, um, yeah, so that that was sort of how I got started. Great place and to start, right? <laughs> yeah, so fun. I highly recommend to absolutely nobody. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like what's what's interesting about this is that like I I remember hitting a period like I was around – 15 when I first had sex. So the purity contracts that I signed did not stick. And, um, I'm very grateful for that. And also there's, you know, there's, there's some stickiness within that as well. Um, but I remember being 15 years old and just like really very unsure about what was being taught to me about my body and about my sexuality. And I really wanted to carve my own path. Like I really wanted to find my own way. 
and not be beholden to these very rigid and strict and binarized rules around sex, pleasure, sexuality, love, connection, intimacy, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think that was from one of the places I decided to have sex for the first time. And then the other aspect of that is just like I had no education. Like I, I made this decision to have sex for the first time, not from a place of informed consent. I had no idea what mm. I was signing up for because I didn't yeah. get proper sex education. I, I knew mm. about condoms. Mm. I knew that the penis went into the vagina. And I knew that I could get pregnant. And that was pretty much all I knew. I didn't know I had a clitoris until I was like 18 years old. So mm. it was it was wild. It's it's actually really wild for me to to really think about that in, in the context mm. of where I'm at now. Um, so I had this upbringing and I had this very, very bleak understanding of sex and sexuality. Uh, and it wasn't until I got into the relationship that I'm in now that I it really started to come to a head that so much of what I was taught, so much of what I experienced sexually was um, harmful in so many ways. And um, I had a period. I So I've been with my partner uh, for 16 years. And when we first got together, our relationship was so sweet. We were having like just sweet sex and it was really amazing. And then the moment we moved in together – um, I started having panic attacks every time I had sex. Oh. Wow. And, oh, no. and it was really, it was really hard. I had no idea what was going on with me. I had no idea why it was happening. It felt like my body was trying to tell me something, but it was completely inconvenient and I didn't know what to do. And there wasn't anyone I could talk to at the time to talk about what was happening to me. And so I just felt really alone. I felt really isolated. And I also felt really othered because so many people around me, like I was in my early 20s and so many of my friends were talking about these amazing orgasmic experiences they were having with their with their partners. And I was like, I that is not it. Like I am crying mm. in the bathroom after I have sex. I feel like oh. stuff is mm. like resurfacing for me as at every time I have sex that I don't really understand or can't put words to. And so it was actually from that place of just like frustration and ignorance and just like fed upness that I got into the work of sex education. Like I realized that so much of what was going on with me stemmed from trauma that I hadn't looked at, that I hadn't named because I had been taught that that's not something that you talk about. It's not something that you look at. And also that I kind of sort of did that to myself. Like I really internalized that uh, I got yeah. sexually traumatized because I mm. broke my purity contract. Mm. So, um, yeah, I that's that's kind of where I got started and I I, I it's it's really bleak and I, even when I talk about this it's like it almost feels like I'm talking about somebody else because my life is so different now and I I really have so much gratitude for how much I've learned and how much I've grown and how much patience my partner has had with me throughout the years as I've really worked to figure it out. But it was really hard those first few years were really, really difficult. Mm. Yeah, it actually, it makes me think of uh, this book. Have you heard of the book Pure by Linda K. Klein? Um, I have. And what's funny is that I have it in my um, 
I'm a huge library book geek. Like I love oh. reading library books on my Kindle and that it's yeah. on my wish list. So um, oh. it's something that I want to read. Yeah. Nice. Uh, we we read it together, the three of us, and reviewed it actually on the podcast. And she mm. dives into so much of the the trauma that comes from people who have experienced purity culture and mm-hmm. the the fallout and the people like she she interviews, I think like at least hundreds of people, hundreds, I think, yeah. um, mm-hmm. over a span of like 10 yeah. years of research. And uh, she talks about how uh, people would have panic attacks. People would have like visceral physical reactions to having sex mm-hmm. because of yeah. all of that internalized trauma mm-hmm. that they aren't even realizing. Like they may have come to a point where they're no longer Christians. They may have come to a point where they decided they want to have sex. They want to be sexually active. They don't think it's wrong, but their body is still telling mm-hmm. them it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what that makes me think of. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Everything you just said, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read read that book now um, <laughs> because that was absolutely my experience. I think one of the most frustrating things about purity culture and folks who have survived it is that you know I was taught this this um, this lesson that like you need to be a virgin until you get married, so you do not have sex, you do not think about sex, you don't have impure thoughts, like you are like sexually stoic like yep. mm. sterile. You do not mm-hmm. have sexual desire. You don't um, derive any joy out of pleasure. Like it's very like, it's it's not, you're not supposed to have it. And then the moment on your wedding night, all of it's supposed to open up. Like a, a switch is supposed to be flipped and you are supposed to be allowed to enjoy and savor and have multiple orgasms and feel yeah. a sense of connection to your body. And that always really stifled me or not stifled me. Yeah. I'm sure stifled me. That works too. But it just, it really puzzled me that, mm-hmm. that there was this, this understanding that I was supposed to say no, 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 no constantly. And basically essentially override my body's natural curiosity for that kind of connection and that kind of experience. And then after I get married, that yes is supposed to magically rise to the surface and I'll be able to mm-hmm. acknowledge it. And mm-hmm. that's something that I've heard from a lot of the clients that I've worked with who have also have this background in purity culture as well, that they are like, yeah, it's it's so odd. Like I don't go to church. I don't read Bible, like my Bible. I, I don't subscribe to these beliefs whatsoever. And I love my husband and I love my partner and I feel really safe with them. But um, for whatever reason, those messages are still in my body. It's like the moment mm-hmm. that I start to have a sexual thought, there's something inside me that's like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And it, it really, yeah. it's it's so frustrating. I, I know that it has to do with us getting those messages at very, very young ages. And they really carved yeah. grooves in our neural pathways about mm-hmm. what we're allowed to do, who we're allowed to be. And, you know, that, that, yes into sexual bliss isn't easy. I don't think it ever will be. At least for me, I don't think it ever will be, which is really frustrating. Yeah. 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 And I I totally resonate and understand with what you're saying because I I mean, I tell my sisters, anyone that'll listen all the time, I'm like, listen, whatever shit you carry into marriage is going to still be there once you're in, like afterwards. Right. And so like, for me, it's been, I've been married for five years now to a wonderful 
wonderful partner whom I love dearly, but um, it has been a process. And you saying like, I used to have panic attacks or I'd cry. Like, I understand what you're saying. I used to cry after sex when we were first married. And it's like, it's because Mm. I've quote unquote followed the rules and Mm. like did the thing. And then my body's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, what are we doing? And it's, it's still an unraveling, um, to this day. And I'm like, this, this will be the great work of my life is coming home to my body. Yeah. And it's so contrary as well to what the church taught us was going to happen when we got married, right? Like Mm -hmm. we were told Mm -hmm. like, do this thing, shut it down, hold back, just wait for your right moment. And then once you're married, you're going to have the best sex life Mm -hmm. ever. Like you're going to have the strongest marriage ever. Mm -hmm. And now like, I don't know, I don't know how long purity culture has been going, but mainly nineties and early two thousands, I'd say was it's big heyday. Now that we're like 10, 20 years past that and all of these Kids are grown up, yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. either either married or finding sexual partners. We're finding that that is very much not true, no. and it's it, mm-hmm. the harm that it's caused is actually the opposite of what um, they expected it to yeah. be, or they taught us that it would be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, even still today, I think for me, one of my biggest things today is acknowledging my sexuality outside of the con- context of we're in the bedroom and we're about to have sex right now, mm-hmm. right? Like. Mm-hmm. Because I'm so accustomed to having everything shut down outside of that, like, marital bed context Mm -hmm. that, like, Mm -hmm. being turned on is hard, you know, Mm -hmm. or being Mm -hmm. just accepting my sexual needs is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it stays with people in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, ugh. It's so, it's such a bummer. <laughs> I know that's like a yes. very simple thing to say about it. <laughs> it's but like, like, dang. Yeah. I mean, hearing you all talk about your experiences, thinking about my own experiences, and I'm sure countless others, which by the way, like I just want to call in or just bring into this conversation the the genderizing of this because mm-hmm. I haven't heard very many men boys talk about purity culture in the way that I see women, non-binary folks and femmes doing it. Like I know that the boys in my, in my church got that conversation, but I don't think it was the same conversation. I think it was like, yeah, you know, be pure and like be a virgin. But like perfect example is my, my high school boyfriend, we went to the same church. And so we both got that same talk from, you know, youth pastors or whatever about purity and and the importance of virginity and things like that. And um, <laughs> I I asked him, I was like, yeah, how did that resonate with you? Because like, I'm just so curious. Like I, the fear of God was literally put into me if I ever opened my legs. And he was like, yeah, they pretty much said like, it was important for us to be pure. But then I got a conversation from my dad on the side that was like, dude, I, I know that like, you know, you're supposed to be a virgin, but like, listen, here's, here's a condom. Here's how to use it. Like if you, if you're going to have sex, make sure that you don't get anybody pregnant. Like it was this very big double standard. Oh, it, it felt like, so unfair. Wow. Yeah. It felt like it was like, yeah, of course purity, but also 
you're not going to stick by it. Like, we all know this. We all know that boys are going to be boys. So, like, mm, just make sure you use a uh, condom. Don't get any, anybody pregnant. And that always stuck with me. And it's it's sticking with me now as I think about this conversation we're having. Like, I do not hear conversations with men who are who grew up in that same era who were given, I'm certain, similar conversations about purity within the church. And they're having these same like somatic experiences of their body being like, yeah, I'm just my sexuality is totally shut down. Like I'm sure there's, there's a, there's men out there who have that experience. I don't want to say that there's none, but I just don't see it largely talked about the way that it's talked about in spaces like these. Mm. Totally. No, definitely. Well, and I think the pressure is not on the men for the most part, right? Like the pressure is on, um, the, the women and um mm-hmm. essentially it's like well you're the temptress right there's all the labels yep. of you're the temptress you're the one with uh the body you're the one with um don't be a stumbling block to your brothers like never look mm-hmm. sexy and i even felt pressure to really never look beautiful like mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. look alluring Mm -hmm. because never even smile too much at Mm -hmm. someone like the internal shame and pressure Mm -hmm. um of never potentially causing someone to be aroused was so real for me Mm -hmm. and I did not see that same pressure for men Mm -hmm. um or the boys that I grew up with Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in church Mm -hmm. and so I, I'm like, can confirm. And it's like, well, no wonder a beautiful sex goddess didn't burst forth on my wedding night because I had been <laughs> I'd been beating her up my whole yeah. life. And yeah. I had let everyone else like, you know, shut that down. And it's like now, you know, we're trying to nurture her back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's unfortunately the very brutal cycle. Yeah. I, I was mm-hmm. curious. I mean, I mean, in in the time that you've spent, I mean, you've probably talked to so many people um, about their journeys, especially as it relates to purity culture. Um, could you share maybe some of the specific ways that you've seen Christianity um, foster that disconnect between self and sensuality? Yeah, um, one of the first questions that I ask people that I work with is what is your relationship to your body? Mm-hmm. And then that follow-up question is what is your relationship to making your body feel good? And what's really interesting is a lot of these people's responses will be like, <laughs> I mean, they don't actually say this, but what I can hear underneath the response is like, oh, I have a body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they're, yeah. they're, they're so disconnected that they forget. So like, relatable. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I I do kind of have a relationship or I'm supposed to have a relationship with my body and I've been so cut off that I, I, I forget that I even have a body. And this idea of making their body feel good, their brain immediately goes to sex and it immediately goes to like sort of the sexualization of pleasure. And which I don't think is wrong or right. I just, it's something that I notice and I'm always really curious about that. Like, I'm really curious why it is, particularly for folks of us who were raised in purity culture, why our first thought about feeling good in our body goes to sex. And which, and I guess what sort of follows after that for them is like this cycle of sex shame. Like I, I'm 
I'm not allowed to feel good in sex or that's not something that I've ever experienced or like I don't know what it means to feel good within sex. And I'm very curious about that. I'm curious about the sexual aspect, but I'm more so curious about the relationship people have with just being in their bodies and like finding what feels good for them outside of a sexual context. And that for me is what being in a relationship with sensuality is about. It's about being in keen connection with your body, knowing what an enthusiastic yes and a hell no (laughs) feels like in your body, being able to access that and also creating a relationship with your body that is prioritizing you feeling good in it. So if that's like doing something through the senses, like listening to good music or wearing clothes that make your skin feel nice or doing um, practices with your body where you are giving yourself massage or just like feeling your own skin, not from a sexual place, but just from like, wow, I have a body and I'm like, what a miracle it is that I can feel and I can sense things and I can get information from this soft animal that I am. Like I'm really, I really want, and that's actually where I start with people. You know, when, whenever I know that someone has come from this very strict and harmful background of purity culture, I start with body, um, body reclamation and like healing the relationship that folks have with their bodies first. Like I don't go straight into like, okay, so this is how you have a squirting orgasm <laughs> because yeah, like, yeah. like I can give you those techniques, but if you're not even connected to your body on a regular basis, like how could you possibly be connected to your body in a sexual space? So that connection outside of the sexual realm to pleasure, to feeling good, to your senses, to what an enthusiastic yes and no feels like in your body. Those are the first places that I start. And it's not glamorous work. I think that's the other aspect of why I gravitate toward the word sexuality doula. Like when we think about birth, birth is a beautiful thing, but it's also really fucking messy and it's Mm. painful Mm -hmm. and it's long and it requires breath and it requires tears and it requires space and time. And like, there's just so many aspects of that. And so much of like the first few weeks, the first few months, months of me working with people is getting down to the root of these parts of ourselves that we have shut off, that we have shut down, or that we have completely not even been aware of were options for ourselves because of the religious teachings that we've been given. Um, And then I also just want to name that I have met with many clients and I've spoke with many people who don't have backgrounds in purity culture, who are like, yeah, I was raised in a pretty sex positive home or like, you know, I could talk to my mom about sex and orgasms like it wasn't a taboo thing, but they've still inherited stories of shame of sexuality because it's part of our culture, Um, especially if you live in America. Like this country was founded on puritanical values. So like I think. I'm not just thinking about like what one person is bringing to me when it comes to their quote unquote sexual baggage. I'm thinking about their grandmothers and I'm thinking about their great, great grandmothers and their aunts and their sisters and um, their trans siblings and their queer siblings. Like I'm really seeing the whole story and really asking that that is also held within that context too, because it absolutely is a part of us. 
Um, even if we haven't been physically touched by purity culture, if that's not something that we were in, we are still in a culture that that is shameful around sex, that is simultaneously sex obsessed and sex negative. So Mm -hmm. I I just want to name that for folks who are like maybe listening and don't have that background, but still are like, well, where the fuck is this coming from? And like, I don't, (laughs) I can't point to a scripture in the Bible or, you know, a purity contract that describes where where this is coming from. And I just like to remind folks that like it's in us because it is part of, it is part of the structure, the systems that we're living in and that are still being played out to this day, you know, in 2023. It's wild. It is. It definitely is. Um, well, Evian, to, to maybe pivot slightly, uh, away from faith, although faith may still very well be part of this. (laughs) Um, I'm curious to hear uh, some as you uh, you work like in the field of sexuality of of sensuality and um, you're obviously interacting with these topics a lot. I'm curious to hear how your personal sexuality has impacted your work and the trajectory that you've taken. Um, I would love to hear more about that. <sighs> well, <laughs> it's um. It's an interesting thing to do the work that I do because so much of the work that I do is really, it emerges from my own curiosity and healing and understanding of myself. Like I've tried to really separate my own story from the teachings that I give folks or from the way that I facilitate and it is so difficult because I really got into this work from a purely selfish place of wanting to understand my own sexuality. So mm. every time I come into my work, like my work is constantly getting shifted and changed based on what I am currently finding out about myself, what I'm currently claiming within myself, what I'm currently healing within myself. So like when I think about the last 12 years of of this work, even longer, I mean I I started doing I started like getting hints and nudges into like sexual liberation healing probably like in 2000, 2007. Um, but I really wow. didn't actually start to do the work like actively until, until 2011. Um, all that to say, like when I think about who I was in, you know, 2007 and who I am now, like I have gone through so much change. I've gone through change in my gender, I've gone through change in my sexual orientation. I've gone through change in the ways that I see and understand marriage and long-term relationships. I've gone through change within my own sexual identity. Like I am on the ACE spectrum. And that is probably the more recent discoveries that I've made about myself, which is always a fun thing. Like I, I think it's pretty cool that I'm 35 and I'm still coming out as things because mm-hmm. it means that I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm shrugging off stories and narratives that no longer serve me so that I can get to the core of my authentic self. Um, so yeah, as, as I, as my work changes, I change as I change, um, my work changes and it's, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of folks gravitate toward the work that I do is I really, it's kind of impossible for me to, um, to not 
position myself within my own healing as I do this work. Like I, I'm not separate from it. You know, like I am very much touched and a part of my own process and the culture that I live in that is also giving me the same messages as giving all of you. So like, it's, it's really important to me that I am very transparent and honest with my own process and journey. And it's been fun to see people grow with me as I grow. Um, as I grow in my work and as I grow in my expressions and as I bring in more of myself to, to what I teach. And I think it, I think it adds this aspect of, of, hum, of humanity really, you mm. know, cause I'm not, I'm not like, oh yeah. So I went to school for like 10 years or whatever and now I'm an expert. So listen to me. It's like, oh, actually like I got triggered yesterday when I had sex. That still happens mm. even to mm. me as a sexuality doula. Like I do this work yeah. day in, day out. I'm constantly talking about thinking about reading about sex and sexuality and healing. And I still have those days. And I think sometimes that can be helpful for folks to know that like, you're not alone. I'm not perfect. I'm on this journey right alongside you. And, you know, we're all trying to find our way together. Yeah. I love your, your vulnerability in that. Cause I think that the conception from the outside, looking at someone who's like who who is profession is within like sex and sexuality and sensuality is to think oh well they're just having the best sex ever at all times period yeah. <laughs> they must be yeah. um, you just wake and up work. and the sun beams <laughs> on your face and you feel the pleasure <laughs> I mean I I mean yes I do access those feelings of course yeah. I feel which so is grateful. Great. Yes. Yeah, I feel grateful that I, I have done enough work and healing within myself to be able to access that because for a long time yeah. I was like, I still don't know what the fuss is about. Like, I don't understand mm. why everybody is talking about this thing that right. only causes me pain and, right. and yeah. frustration and and um, confusion. So I'm really glad that I've come to this place. But yeah, I'm I'm still, I'm a human being. I am touched by the world around me and this mm. culture that we live in. And I still, I still have my moments, you know? Totally. Um, and I think, I, I think one of the reasons why that's important for me to name too, is just like, I was really tired when I was like in, in the darkest, deepest pit of just my confusion and frustration and just feeling so broken as a sexual person, I saw these other people, these experts, you know, sexologists and scientists and sex therapists, and, you know, they would talk about how they've healed themselves and how good they feel in their bodies. And I'm like, okay, that's great for you, but I don't feel like that. And I just felt even mm. more alone. I felt even more isolated and that I wasn't doing something right. So I've, I have found a lot of healing and just a lot of belonging when people are very honest and show the humanity of the, of their healing processes because it just makes me feel like oh i'm i'm right on time like i'm not missing anything i'm not not doing something right like i'm i'm exactly where i need to be it's it's a journey definitely i also love your perspective in terms of uh sort of the joy of getting to come out within some, like with your sexuality again, you know, like mm -hmm. the idea of like, you're peeling back the onion, the layers of who you are, like you said, shedding those stories that you've been told all your life and, um, getting to like have changes in, in the way that you talk about yourself and the way that you, um, present yourself to the world. Uh, I think that's just like a really beautiful perspective and how you think about mm -hmm. it. Uh, but I know that, a lot of people have 
more negative perspectives when it comes to sexuality and gender. And um, I'm curious to hear from you what it's been like to, or like what kind of misconceptions you've come across about uh, asexuality or being non-binary or or any of the things that come along with all that you teach. Uh, What has Mm. that been like? Oh, there's so many. There's so many stories. Uh, like I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about like pleasure. You know, I'm really, really fascinated and like a, a disciple, I guess, of pleasure mm-hmm. and like what it means to feel good in my body. Yeah. Like if pleasure were were a deity, I would pray to that because I really believe that that is the reason why we are here on this earth is to feel good and to help other people feel good too. Um, in ways that are safe, sane, and consensual. Um, but like with that comes people being like, oh, well, I guess you're going to be a hedonist and being a hedonist is bad. And, you know, you're not um, you're not a respectful member of society because you're not mm. being productive because pleasure warps your sense of responsibility, which I think can happen. But that's not the only narrative around pleasure yeah. and feeling. That doesn't good mean avoid pleasure at all costs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. We live in such a binary world. It's like mm-hmm. there's we don't have room for for both. We don't have mm-hmm. room for discipline and also flow. You know, like mm-hmm. I, yes, I can be disciplined within my pleasure, but I can also allow myself the spaciousness to prioritize what feels good to me. Like that can be a practice of self-love, self-preservation, self-care, and like um, intimacy building between myself and and other people. Um, and then of course, you know, with, with things like asexuality, which I still get, I think that um, in all these things, all of these systems and foundations that I'm constantly trying to shake with my work, um, there are a lot of people who don't believe in that, you know, um, mm-hmm. coming out as, as ACE, there's a lot of ignorance about it. Um, a lot of ignorance about what being an asexual person is and what they're allowed to do. Um, when I came out actually, uh, on Instagram, just like talking about like, Oh wow, I'm so excited. And also like freaked out that I guess I'm asexual. I've been running <laughs> from this for my entire life. And now it finally feels like I can, I can root into this identity a lot more. Um, And I was talking a little bit about my experience about like, yeah, you know, I don't really experience sexual attraction. I don't, I don't really get horny. Um, I don't really experience like my libido has always been pretty low. Um, but I do have sex. I do enjoy having sex. It's just not a priority for me. Like having like sexual intercourse, like penis and vagina sex, I would rather do something else. (laughs) Like that's just, that's just my experience. Um, and so I was talking about this on the internet and someone was like, that's not what an asexual means. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, are you, are you ace? Because (laughs) I mean, I'm just so curious. So like here, and it's like, and, and I get where that comes from, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. so much of what we've heard about when it comes to asexuality has been very, um, it's been very black or white. Like you either, like if you say that you're ace, it means that you do not have sex. You hate sex. Sex repulses (laughs) you. You are like not a sexual being period. And there are definitely ace folks that fall within that, within that identity. 
But asexuality, just like everything else under the sun, is on a spectrum. Um, Sexuality Mm -hmm. is on a spectrum. I believe that gender is on a spectrum. I believe that pleasure is on a spectrum. And so because asexuality is on a spectrum, that means that there will be people who have very high libidos but identify as asexual. There will be people who um, don't experience any sexual attraction um, or sexual desire and have completely deprioritized sex from their lives. So I always recommend for folks who don't know about pleasure activism, who don't understand asexuality, who don't understand non-binariness, like read a book. We are in such a beautiful time in our lives right now where like anything that we want to know is at the tippy tops of our fingers. So there's so many resources um, for people to educate themselves and sort of get caught up with the ways that we as human beings have created more variance within our Mm -hmm. expressions, within our gender, within our sexuality, and also more nuances in the ways that we can identify. And that's a good thing. Like I believe that variance is a good thing. And I, I want to invite that to other people as well, to not see themselves as black or white, to really to really give themselves the space to f- be fluid and flow within their, within their identities. You're cor- absolutely correct. We are in the most beautiful time to take ownership and educate ourselves. So maybe totally, yeah. before you decide you want to pop off on Instagram, <laughs> take a step back and be like, you know, I, I might not be the world's foremost expert, so <laughs> yeah. let's take a second. Or yeah. be honest with yourself that if you don't want to do that education, be honest. Like yeah. I was yeah. having a conversation, I think it was last year, around someone who, in their own words, said that she didn't believe in non-binariness. And I was mm. like, that's such an odd statement to make, but I'll allow it. Like you can have your own experience. Um and, you know, we, me and another friend of mine who is also trans, like we were having this really enriching generative conversation to try to get this woman to be like, just to understand what we were saying and to see us mm. in our humanity. And she had this moment because we kept saying like, yo, okay, let me take a step back. She would say <laughs> things like, this is just so hard and there's just so many things to learn and all the you know, gender pronouns. And it's just so arduous and it's just so complicated. And my friend and colleague was like, well, you remember back in the day when iPhones came out? It was really (laughs) difficult for us to learn how to use an iPhone. Like it was really difficult for us to know which buttons to press, how to work Mm -hmm. the screens. Like we had to teach ourselves. We had to learn. And the reason why we did that labor is because we cared about it. We cared to learn how to use an iPhone. And similarly, if you care about these issues, if you care to be in community with people who have these different experiences, expressions, variances, if you want to be a part of a community that makes sure that these people are safe and that they're not being oppressed, you will do the labor. You will do the work. You will read the books. You will be a part of communities. You'll ask the stupid questions and you'll, you won't be afraid to make mistakes. You won't be afraid to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And she basically said in the conversation, which I was really appreciative of, um, Mm -hmm. she didn't want to learn. She said Mm -hmm. like, I have too much stuff on my plate. I'm trying to do too much. I don't have time to read any books. I'm not interested. I don't care to learn more. And Mm -hmm. it was this like really interesting 
Right. It was this really interesting point in the conversation because on one hand, I'm sure people listening were like, oh, God, you don't want to learn. That's like yeah. how <laughs> awful of you. Right. But for me, I was like, thank you for being honest because now yeah. I know that you can't hold me, that you are not a right. safe space for me yeah. and my other trans siblings to be around. Like, we understand your capacity and we won't be, we won't be checking for you. So thank right. you. Yeah. You gave us a gift by being radically honest. And so like, mm. I, I also want to give folks that option too. Like, if you don't want to learn, fine, just be honest with that so that other people around you have the ability to be like, okay, well then we understand that these are not conversations that we can have or that you will right. not see my humanity. And I can't be a friend to you because of that. Mm -hmm. Like we get to make our own choices around how we orient ourselves to those types of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny the way that, that we view things in, in our culture today too, because an expert in mathematics having a conversation with, you know, someone who just maybe like got their diploma out of high school, right? Like, and that's the end of, maybe they took one calculus class and that's all they have, right? Like I would never say to my cousin who got his degree in math, like, oh, I could, like, you're wrong. I know more about, or I don't believe in X, Y, Z, but, but the, like talking to someone who has like spent their career learning this thing mm -hmm. and now works in that field like he would be expected to just like hold space for my opinion in that in that context like it's just unheard of that would never happen we would never expect a <laughs> mathematician to hold space for just like an English major in the field of mathematics right but the idea that mm. in the field of gender in the field of sexuality and sexual orientation and all of that there's so many people who think and act like they have just as much a say as the people who have done the work mm. and have like, you know, mm. done the research and learned and listened and talked to people. And mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, it's just it's fascinating how we think. And it tends to be people mm. with no skin in the game. Yes. And yeah, usually it's people <laughs> who have zero. Yeah, they have, it yeah. does not affect them at all. I feel that way yeah. when I talk about abortion with people mm. who mm. just mm -hmm. like continue to speak the same exact script that like whatever yep. their viewpoint is and I'm like you don't know how you don't know the work that I've done looking yep. into this you don't mm -hmm. know yeah, the stakes no, for you are very right. low yeah. yeah this doesn't that's affect right. you yeah so I hear you I totally hear you I think I think it's I think it's important to like to flesh this out and to just like make space for all of it because we are going to come across people who just don't have an interest in learning more about us, particularly if we are marginalized folks, particularly if we have different opinion. I don't even want to say opinions because it's not about opinions. It's about humanity. It's about yeah. like, giving people access and rights and um, um, it's not even, it's like equity, you know, but anyway, yeah. these people will think that they're opinions, right. And like, and they're entitled to them, but we are also entitled to remove ourselves yeah. from being mm -hmm. in relationship with people who time and time again, in our year of 2023, continue to fall back on their own ignorances. And I mean, there is such a thing as, um, what is it? Intentional ignorance. There's, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a word for it. Like a willful ignorance, yes. you know, like I don't, yeah. 
I don't have time for people like that. Like you are welcome to believe that non-binariness is not a thing. That's great. But I will not be giving you any of my energy or my time, especially when Google is free and you can Mm -hmm. literally just type in non-binary and be given podcast episodes and books and articles from actual non-binary and trans people. Like it's just, I don't have time for it. So Yeah. Yeah. My favorite quote as this this conversation uh, the last several years, or at least in my circles, has become more prevalent is, I don't need you to do anything for me, but I need you to believe that I'm a human having a human experience. And I'm like, mm. that just kind of, I think, lowers the stakes a little bit of like, you're a human having a human experience. I'm a human having a human experience. I don't know all the answers to all the questions It's not my job to, but I believe you're supposed to feel safe. And I believe Mm. that that you should be given the rights and opportunities that others get, right? And I'm like, if that's the baseline, I think that we can figure everything else out. Um, Mm. Or at least that's my hope. That's a good starting place. (laughs) It's a great starting place of like, hey, we all deserve to be safe. We all deserve opportunity. Let's start there. And then, Mm -hmm. you know create space, uh, like you've been saying, and um, allow those that are ready and willing to take the lead, take the lead. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I would never, I would never assume that I know all the answers and that I could make such a blatant statement of like, well, I just don't believe in this. I'm like, well, didn't ask you. (laughs) Yeah. It yeah, doesn't my, change. My response was like, like, okay, you don't have to believe in non-binariness, but non-binariness believes in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you perfect. can you cannot believe in gravity all day, but it'll still hold you down to the earth. Like, oh, absolutely. It, it doesn't change. You can believe in flat the earth is flat, but it will still be round. Yeah. You. That's yeah. True. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um I just, I have to ask, the trying to be more present in your body, like this has been something that I have been working on for roughly five years now. (laughs) It's uh, associated with joy often and being content, but it can also bring up anger, guilt, anxiety. For me, I live with chronic pain. So what does it look like to be present in a body with chronic pain? Um, But how do you balance those emotions while just working towards presentness? How, like, mm. is there a balance? Does balance even mm. exist? <laughs> I don't know if there's so much of a balance as there is just like a radical honesty and acceptance of what is. I, I don't even know if it, I don't even know if I like the word acceptance because. I think that has some negative connotations, particularly if we're talking about things like chronic pain mm-hmm. um, or chronic chronic illness. I think it's more just like a radical acknowledgement of of what is, and like not trying to judge yourself, not trying to be something that you aren't, not trying to make what isn't there, but just for me, presence really is about just being with what is. And if what is, is anxiety or feeling triggered or feeling joyous, like really being with that feeling and that sensation while also knowing that it will pass or it will move or it will fluctuate um, Mm. because nothing is ever 
one stagnant thing. We're always in motion. We're always moving. Same with our presence practices, you know, like I've been really committed to doing more meditative practices, um, to like actually sit on a cushion and just like be still with my breath and, and have a moment of quiet throughout the day. And that has always been something really difficult for me. I go in and out of that practice because some days it's like, cool, I could do that. And other days my anxiety won't allow me to do it. Mm -hmm. So even allowing ourselves to just like be alive within this practice of presence, like there will be days where it's really difficult. There will be days where our body is just like, nope, not going to happen today. Like how can we also be present to what is, acknowledge that and give ourselves space to to be that without trying to judge or shame or, you know, make ourselves feel bad about it. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, I may be just like saying like what is obvious here. So forgive me, but I'm catching up. Um, There's everybody wants to be like, everyone likes the idea of being present with yourself when you think about like savoring that warm sip of herbal tea or feeling the sun warm your face or, you know, Mm. like self-massage or, you know, some of those beautiful love, you know, smelling the grass outside, all those beautiful things that we enjoy. Mm. Um, But yeah, like presentness in pain is very hard to do and and Mm. presentness in sadness or grief or anger is not as not quite as appealing, yeah. but it's almost like if we're not holding space for some of the um, hard things, mm-hmm. then we limit our capacity to hold space for the happy things in a sense. Yeah, that's right. That's totally right. Something that I say in my work a lot is that you cannot, you cannot self-select what you want to feel and also mm-hmm. expect yourself to be able to feel good and feel like the full spectrum of feeling good. Like you Mm -hmm. can't say, I want to only feel pleasure, but I also don't want to feel the other things. Like in order Mm -hmm. for you to feel really good, you have to feel everything. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to be in space with that, like be in relationship with the complexities and the fluctuations of that, because we're not going to feel good all the time. That's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And any time we try to do that, that's like, spiritual bypassing that's like toxic positivity, you know, like part of, part of being a human being is that fluctuation. It is those down spells. It is the cycling, the waxing and the waning. So, um, I find that it's really helpful. It's been really helpful for me to see the hard parts that I experience as being a companion to the good parts. Like my, Mm. my grief can be a companion to my pleasure and mm-hmm. my anxiety can be a companion to my presence. Like they can both work together. And it's hard. I Like as I'm saying this now, it sounds really poetic and, and beautiful, but it's really difficult to do. You know, yes. we don't live in a culture that teaches us how to be with the both ands of our experiences. We are on mm-hmm. one side or the other. We're very, we live in a very binarized black or white society. So this idea that like we can look at pleasure as being a vehicle for us to get to our, that, that helps us to connect deeper to our pain or vice versa. That's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of revolutionary to think about that, but I have found a lot of, 
a lot of healing and just a lot more space opens up when I'm not trying to make myself feel something Mm -hmm. um, that isn't there. And I'm also Mm -hmm. not being like, I only want to feel good all the time without completely acknowledging this other part of myself that happens, that comes up, that's part of life. Like that is what makes pleasure so impactful is those hard Mm. moments that we have. Uh, Would you mind going back to use the word um, spiritual bypassing, which I'm fascinated Mm. to hear more about. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think that ties in to a lot of the conversation that we're having, especially as it relates to purity culture and things like that. Um, And, and how we, and how, religion helps or hurts us when processing emotion. So spiritual bypassing is this idea that we are not allowed or that it's not good or beneficial for us to focus on hard emotions, psychological wounds, um, that we're not, like it's not beneficial for us to face these parts of ourselves that are a huge part of our human existence, that are a huge part of of who we are as human beings, having our own experiences. Um, A really great example is something that really frustrates me when I hear uh, that I've heard from my own family at times where I'm having a really hard day and maybe maybe I'm anxious or I'm depressed and I confide in in a family member about that, and they just said, "Well, just pray about it. Just pray. Mm. You'll feel better if you just pray about it. Or mm-hmm. be happy. Just be happy. Don't be sad. Be happy." That is like an example of spiritual bypassing, and like toxic positivity also comes into that. It's like mm-hmm. the moment you start having a hard feeling, you're like, "Oh, I'm not allowed to feel ha- hard things. I'm not allowed to feel mm. sad. I'm not allowed to feel ungrateful. I have to be happy. I have to bypass mm. and like override these sad, hard feelings because it's all about being positive. It's all about contr- like attracting goodness and manifesting like abundance and all of those things. Like those. Those are the the sort of ways that toxic positivity and like spiritual bypassing can come up. Um, I think honestly that these can be um, trauma responses, that these can be um, protective mechanisms that we put up so that we don't have to face these aspects of ourselves that are just really hard. And like, I don't want to knock the people who do that. I don't want to knock the people who rely on that because it's an it's been created to help keep them safe, you know? Um sometimes it's too painful to look at the emotions that you have been constantly shoving down for the last 20 years. Sometimes it's too hard to face the grief that you haven't faced. Um so I I understand where it comes from, but it also it's just not it's not a healthy way of of being in relationship with ourselves. Like we have to acknowledge our complexities, our shadows, our nuances, so that we can fully realize and experience the good parts of ourselves. Wow. This makes me think so much about um, deliverance culture, uh, which Mm. I was raised in. Um, And it, the concept of let's pray away the problem, right? So Mm -hmm. instead of oh, you're experiencing anxiety. What in your life could be contributing to that? Or what do you need to help yourself calm down? Or, 
You know, it's like, oh, you have a demon. Let's pray it away Mm -hmm. and then you won't Mm -hmm. have the problem anymore. And then when that problem persists because you're ignoring your inner needs Mm -hmm. um, or not caring for yourself, you feel like a failure. Um, And so, again, it's not like to pass judgment on those that rely on that. I agree with you. I think it's it's like a that that is some people's coping mechanism. But Mm -hmm. like the shift from I'm going to shoo away my anxiety to, oh, actually, come sit next to me, anxiety. What's going mm-hmm. on? It, mm-hmm. It's very, it's a very distinct mm-hmm. shift. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a hard one to make. <laughs> um, Absolutely, very challenging. Yep. But um, wow, the the wisdom anxiety has to share when mm. you create space for it is for for myself. It's been life changing. Um, yeah, but I really yeah, like how likewise. you articulated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think it ties in so poignantly with with some of the conversations we were having earlier because I mean purity culture is a huge piece of this, but I think also layered in that is oftentimes a religious sort of um, understanding of hard things or of pain as a as a I don't know non god thing, right? Like mm-hmm. a not. You know, like to be to be in grief for too long is not spiritual or to be angry about something and not just forgive and let it go is not mm-hmm. spiritual to to um, experience anxiety is to not trust in God enough mm-hmm. or or whatever it may be. And, and and I'm not I think there's tons of spiritual wisdom to be found in a lot of different faiths. But um, but at least in my context, I found so much of my life was built on those beliefs. And so like unlearning that has been a huge part of my journey um, as it relates to the state of my body in comparison to the state of my mind. Yeah. Actually hearing you all speak about this more, it's reminding me of like, this is what we do in somatics. You know, this is like, we look, we don't look at the body as something to override so that, you know, if the body is having, anxiety or fear, or if we are experiencing disconnection, rather than trying to override that feeling, we allow ourselves to feel that. We welcome that into our experiences. You know, we sort of hold, um, holds that like what those parts of us need the most in those moments is not us trying to force it to be something else, but it, we need to, what it needs really is a space to soften. Like it, it needs Mm -hmm. a space of acknowledgement so that we can finally resolve it so that we can finally face it. Um, and that's been my experience as well. Like the moments that I have tried to, um, just like talk myself out of a panic attack. <laughs> like it just does not work. Like I've yeah. never had success yeah. with that. Um, and these days, you know, I have someone that has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and, um, my relationship with anxiety has really shifted a lot over the last few years. Um, rather than seeing it as 
something to demonize or other within myself, like I'm like, okay, what is what is anxiety telling me? Like if anxiety was a messenger, what messages would it be giving me right now? And like, yeah. what does my anxiety need in this moment? And maybe it's to lay down, maybe it's to scream, maybe it's to turn off my phone, maybe it's to go for a walk, like really just accessing and resourcing the wisdom of these parts of ourselves that we often push down, that we often silence, that we often say, you're not supposed to feel that. So like, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to just be happy. I'm going to do mm-hmm. something fun. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of wisdom that these voices or these these parts of ourselves that we've been conditioned to not acknowledge, we can learn from them. We just have to give them time and we have to to have them feel as though they're important for us to listen to. It feels very intertwined with like shadow work for me of mm, like yeah. this this unacknowledged space in myself or this part that I'm pushing away. Like, actually, why don't I just leave the door open and you can come mm. sit down when you're ready, um, mm-hmm. which is it's scary, but it's also like there's so much healing in that space and um, almost like reconciliation and like trust being built within yourself, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. oh, look at all these ways that I've shut down, like this, this need um, it, that manifests as anxiety. And like, I might not trust myself anymore subconsciously. And mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, how do I, how do we repair that and make sure that I don't continue to shut that down and try to push it away? Um, Mm -hmm. and let it have it, the space that it's needing in my life, which is, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Evian, this conversation has been such a pleasure. (laughs) 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 And, um, I just, uh, having listened to some of your podcast and being able to, to chat with you now, like you have such a calming and warm and, um, peaceful presence about you. But so I I have one last question for you before we close, which is a question we ask all of our guests and it's open to interpretation. And I'm especially curious to hear your perspective as you are the first non-binary person that we've been able to host, um, which Mm -hmm. is such a pleasure and a privilege. Um, But the question is, what does the phrase woman being mean to you? Well, first of all, I'm so happy to be here as a non-binary person answering this question. So thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, Um, thank you. So yes, I am non-binary, which means that I do not identify as a woman, nor do I identify as a man. I am somewhere in between, all around, and nowhere. It's a really, it's (laughs) it's so fun. I love, I love my gender. Um, so yeah, this question is really interesting to me because I don't identify as a woman, but I do have experiences of being read as one, of being acculturated as one, as being raised as one, oppressed as one. And I still walk through the world with folks seeing me and naming me as a woman. Mm. So while I don't identify in this way, um, I do understand that I am still classed, categorized, seen, oppressed um, as a woman. And when I think about this question, what does woman being mean? I really like, 
what comes up for me it's it's a little meta. <laughs> I'm hoping that I can like put it into language. Um this idea of woman being as sort of transcending what it even means to be a woman. Like this idea that when you tap into your like your beingness as a woman that it can create more space and access for you to transcend what our culture has taught you about woman and womanhood, femininity, chastity, virginity, like all of the things that we've been talking about today. Um, as a little like story, I'll try to keep this short. Back in the day, I wrote a piece that goes viral probably like 10 times a year. Um, wow. you can, you're welcome to like Google it. Um, but it's <laughs> called it's it's a piece I wrote called I Am a Too Much Woman. And it has been, it has been uh, translated into like Russian and French and Spanish. People have done movement performances to it. It's crazy. I never expected that this piece would resonate with people in the way that it resonated. And when I wrote the piece, it was just, it was, it was just this quick thing that sort of flew out of me. And at the time it felt very resonant with where I was at, with the people that I was working with as we were talking about what it means to be too much and particularly what it means to be too much as a woman and all of the narratives and stories that were given um, about that, that's really tied to our womanness. That's really tied to the ways that we've been othered. Um, and so, yeah, this, this, this thing goes viral all the time and I'm an, I now identify as non-binary. So it's often really funny when I see like, Oh, another person is sharing this again. And like, you know, talking about their too much womanness. And the thing that I have kind of like circled back to is like, I was so much too much of a woman <laughs> that I became non-binary. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that was a really long winded way of saying that like, that's kind of what comes to mind when I think about woman being like when we're really tapped into what that means, we begin to create our own scripts, our own stories, embody our mm. own selves outside of the confines and rigidity and the binary mm. of what it means to be a woman. And that's sort of where I've landed. I don't even wow. identify as one anymore. That's good. It's like she transcends the script yeah. in a sense. Mm. Like it's a to be a woman. Stone. Yeah. To be a yeah. woman being is to, is to um, be oneself fully, not necessarily oneself as defined by womanhood mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. fascinating that's good I'm Ooh, so deep with me. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no yeah thank you so much for that um uh also I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners um some resources that you might recommend um uh, I mean, definitely plug yourself and your podcast and your books, um, but also just resources for people who want to dig more into topics of, of somatics and sensuality, um, pleasure, all of those things. What are your favorite resources? Hmm. 
Well, I will definitely plug myself. Um, you should definitely check out my podcast called Sensual Self, where we discuss everything that we've talked about today around sexual healing, around gender identity, around womanhood, around queerness, um, sexual liberation, and also um, some somatic practices that folks can do to connect them to their sensual bodies. I love the podcast because it's such a great resource. Like it's not something that I envision it as something that people can not just listen to, but that they can actively work with their bodies. Um, like mm-hmm. they can use the practices to be in relationship with their bodies in, in different ways. And um, at the end of every episode, I, I give folks a practice that they can try, whether that's journal prompts or a movement or breath work that they can try on to really root them into whatever it was we were talking about that day with a guest. Um, so I highly recommend that as a resource. Um, I also recommend my book, which is titled Sensual Self as well. It is a guided journal that is filled with prompts and practices to help you get connected to your body, to your pleasure, to what it means to be uh, to, to be feeling good. So um, you can find Sensual Self wherever you find books. Um, shout out to independent bookstores. I recommend that folks get it there not hundred uh, percent Amazon <laughs> if possible yeah. only if possible um, in terms of other resources um, I would recommend Adrian Marie Brown's book pleasure activism I would also recommend uh, Euphemia Russell's book slow pleasure those are some really great books around pleasure somatics being in your body queerness sex orgasm like it's fantastic Um, because we talked about asexuality today, I want to plug Angela Chen's book, Ace, just to give some folks some education about what it means to be ace. Um, and who knows, you might find after you finish reading the book that you might identify as ace as well. Um, a really great place to start with that if you don't want to pick up the whole book is I actually uh, interviewed Angela Chen about asexuality on my podcast. So you can find that um, somewhere, wherever you listen to podcasts. And what else? I feel like I want to give one more plug. Um, hmm. No, I'm going to leave it there. I think that's I think that's good enough. That's enough homework that's great, for people. <laughs> absolutely. And if you think of any other ones, we can you can just send us an email and we'll link it. Like we link all the rest of the resources in the podcast description if anyone's wondering where to find that. Um, yeah. Emma puts those together every time and they're great. So <laughs> Um, easy to find. Um, thank you once again, Evian, for being here with us today. Um, I'm, I can't wait for our listeners to listen to this one because <laughs> I think they're going to really love it and um, discover some new things, I hope. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite things is when we have guests on that I think will shake up the listeners a little bit, mm-hmm. make them maybe feel a little bit uncomfy just because it's things they might not have heard before. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited for people to yeah. to to hear more and learn more and for all the good like wheels and gears that will be turning from mm-hmm. this conversation with you, Evian. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much. We're so yeah, glad you're here. Thank you all. Here. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Mm. Oh, and 
And so, yeah, we come to a close. Um, Woman Beings, for those of you that listen to us on Spotify, we could use your help. There is a star button right above our podcast that I need you to click to give us a (laughs) five-star review. Um, For all our Apple podcast um, humans, there is also an option for you to review our podcast way at the bottom. So if you scroll down and find us, please leave us a review. It really helps us and helps other people like you find us. And um, and so, yeah, um, give us a follow on Instagram or TikTok. Check out our website, womanbeingcommunity.com, and you can find us wherever you can find a podcast. And Damn. I think that's all the that's all the plugs on our end. But um, without further ado, we're going to close for today. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>